You're listening to Casual Talk Radio, where common sense is still the norm. Whether you're a new or a longtime listener, we appreciate you joining us today. Visit us at casualtalkradio.net. And now, here's your host, Leister. Yeah, I don't feel so good. I'll still welcome you here to Casual Talk Radio, found at casualtalkradio.net. My name is Leister. I'm your host, and welcome or welcome back but I don't feel good. So apologies if it comes through on the audio. I try my best not to let that happen. In this case, it might. I might not have a choice because it's a level of bad. I'm, I don't, if, if you're not on social media, by the way, kudos if you're not. Something happened. Didn't make a lot of people happy, but I thought it was worth talking about because some of the stuff that was divulged might be of interest or value to you as a listener. Alex Jones, host of InfoWars, was reinstated on X, formerly known as Twitter. This was after a poll that Elon Musk put out saying, should I bring back Alex Jones? Now, Elon Musk, ironically, was the person who banned Alex Jones in the first place due to pressure from, at the time, his overlords. And it is this that I wanted to talk about. It's two parts. One, it's the whole overlord situation. Two, it's what Alex Jones said. He did an interview on Tucker Carlson. He also did a Twitter spaces with Vivek Ramaswamy and Elon. I didn't, I couldn't bear that one. There was a funny story about it, but I couldn't bear that one. But I did watch some of the Tucker Carlson. I want to talk about some of those bits, but the whole overlords. Twitter in the past was led by Jack, Jack Dorsey, but he was just a figurehead. He did not really have significant authority And he was required, kind of like a puppet, he was required to do what some of these ESG organizations were requiring he do. ESG is this movement around things you've probably heard in the workplace around diversity, right? The the idea of equality and all of these social concepts that have no business in a capitalist society. There are these large, wealthy players that at some point decided to inject some of these beliefs and thoughts into the workspace and the the resulting behaviors of large companies like a Twitter, like a Facebook censorship. Many people got censored, many reporters and media folks got censored and they were not allowed to talk about certain topics. Even now, just speaking about, just mentioning it, even if you're not talking directly about the, the vax itself, but even just saying the term COVID or whatever on YouTube, you got a banner slapped on your video. It, it was bad though. It was bad before when Alex got removed, there were certain people that celebrated this, just like when Donald Trump was removed. There were certain people that celebrated it, even though it's the antithesis of what a free and modern society should be. Elon had to partner with some other backers to buy Twitter. He didn't, it wasn't all his own cash. He had to partner with others to make this happen. He basically had to borrow money. Essentially when he takes over Twitter, it was clear and apparent he had, he was in over his head and he was not going to be able to do this by himself. And so he got a, another CEO and that CEO is kind of running the, the low level. Elon's still involved from some of the decisioning and some of the refinements. And to his credit, he has worked to streamline the business. When the advertisers started flacking on him, he was not one to bow down like Jack Dorsey did. There was a situation about anti-Semitism. I saw the message. I didn't see it as anti-Semitism at all. 
what I saw it, and, and Ben Shapiro chimed in on this. What I saw it is there's a, there's a difficulty, and I talked about this on a past episode, but there's a difficulty, cultural difficulty, within the Jewish community of what I'll term Orthodox Jews and non-Orthodox Jews. And within that same, there's, there's a discrepancy, there's a gap. They don't, they're not on the same page. And what they believe isn't necessarily consistent with one another. And to some degree, certain of the Jews are being suppressed in favor of other Jews. And I'll use my own terminology. I don't want to offend anyone, but I'm using my, that's why I'm using my terminology. This is not quoted anybody. I liken it to this idea of, quote, mainstream Jews versus more traditional Jews, the ones that they believe what they believe and they are fervent in their beliefs and they're not going to allow the mainstream to convolute it. This is not specific to the Jewish culture. You have the same thing, arguably, in my opinion, same thing with Native Americans, same thing with African Americans, same thing with you know white Americans and so on. Every culture struggles with this idea of there's just the mainstream ones who have kind of embraced what is traditionally accepted in public forums. And then there's the ones that kind of are beholden to what they believe, irrespective of what the mainstream says. It's not specific to Jewish faith at all. It's every culture struggles with this. So there was a commentary, and I'm not going to go details, but there was a commentary, and Elon chimed in on the commentary and essentially agreed with what was being said about this oppression and suppression that was happening in certain outlets, but also that it was in, it was talking about this other side that it's really coming from internal and it's kind of internal deal. And that there was never, there was never an expectation of a full blend society. You're wondering what is a full blend society, a full blend society. And there's videos about this coming from leadership in different religious sects. A full blend society is this idea that every culture, every race, creed, color, him nor her are all equal and it's kumbaya and we should all be blended together irrespective of your individual unique you know, beliefs or cultures. There's some fact in the idea that you want to have your own cultural identity and that you don't want it to be convoluted or blended with somebody else's because you lose sight of what makes you, you. There is some truth to this. However, society in general was not designed to have everybody fully blended together. You can have equal rights. You can have equal treatment without being blended. So take an apartment complex. An apartment complex by its very nature must be a blended living place. However, where that apartment complex is may not necessarily. It could be that it simply is an upscale place that for that location is not affordable to the lower or middle class who just by statistics may happen to not be white American. This is just by numbers. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's an intent to block certain races away from that residential capability to live there simply because of where it is. Where it is is where it is. That's the target of what they built. Where am I going with it? When Elon makes this comment where he's agreeing with this oppression and suppression, he automatically gets attacked as anti-Semitist. And then 
anti-Semitic. And the advertising companies, largely, some of the big ones, say they're pulling out and they're boycotting X. They're not going to put any money towards it. Now, in the olden days, unless it was something directly egregious, I'm talking you support a murderer, you support a rapist, I'm talking something directly egregious that's in, that's in breach of a law, say. You would never have seen true capitalist organizations do something like this. It was unheard of. So to see this happen, I found it disgusting because he's, he's expressing an opinion and it's his own personal opinion. It's not necessarily the values or principles of X as an organization. It's him as an individual. He is the face of the brand now, but he's still stating his own opinion. So then they're essentially trying to hold him hostage. He went on a show, Andrew, Strauss, Andrew Ross Rotkin, and said, you know, basically, go F yourself. He didn't say F, you know what I'm saying? Because he felt like he was being blackmailed for people's money, that you're withholding money because I have my own opinion and you're going to try to force me to not say what I believe using your cash. I'm not going to play that. And I actually celebrated that he did this. So he has been steadily pushing back. Now he's been trying to get premium off the ground and doing these other ways of getting money and they're throwing money at the problem. But it's hard for him to maintain X as a brand. The truth is, Many of these companies, I'm talking non-advertising companies, can't really ignore it because that's where people are. Just like with Facebook. Facebook couldn't ignore. That's where people are. You've got to let the people have. So you can't have it both ways. You can't just ban and censor people like crazy. You're going to have flack and you're going to have people leave the platform, which will cost you advertising revenue anyway. Now that we're starting to see a lot of these people get restored, coming back, some people are not happy. They're saying they're going to quit. I've actually seen people quit, like Mick Foley. It's disgusting. And it's, it's again, it's a form of extortion. It's like, you will do what we say to do, or we're going to go somewhere else with our money. They have every right to go somewhere else with their money. But again, it's not like the company had any sort of stance. To do that when a person is just using his own personal opinion, I personally find disgusting. Fast forward now, we get to Alex Jones getting restored on the platform by the same, same person who banned him in the first place. He goes on Tucker Carlson out to Tucker's place. He physically went to Tucker's place to interview with him. And he's telling a lot of these interesting stories, things that I had never heard. And I didn't watch his show on a regular basis because I found him, it's difficult to listen to certain when they rant. They might have a great message, but when you're, you know, it's like Ben Armstrong, when you're putting it out in a way that is just, angry and militant, you're, it's hard to get people, it's hard to get reasonable people to take you serious. You might have all the best intentions of the world and you're, you're passionate about your message and I got it. I do some of that, but I still can't come across as militant. I've still got to come across as reasonably educated in what I'm saying. And with him, he comes across as militant, at least before. In these, he was pretty calm and reasonable some things he said that were highlights that I wanted to talk about for the purposes of this, because I, I thought they were interesting. Apparently, he had predicted the 9-11 planes going to the building. He had predicted the Russia invasion. I think everybody saw that coming. And then he talked about the stand-downs. Stand-downs are where the military in a given country or countries are aware that something's going to happen. There's going to be an incident and the scale of that incident, there's no way they could not have known that it was going to happen before it happened. They had to have known because we're 
it's extremely difficult to accept that they would not have given the scale. So when we talk about hijacking planes, right now, TSA is all over this, right? They'll know if somebody's trying to sneak a gun on the plane or all that. We didn't have a TSA before then, but we did have basic metal detectors. Some of the hijackers had knives. Somehow those got on the plane. Prior to 9-11, the doors, it was a lot easier to get into the cockpit, but we hadn't had any sort of, we'd had hijackings, but not to that degree. And then people predicted, I'm talking in writing, that something like that could happen because of weakness in the security. Well, that was a given. At no point was there an effort to shore up the security. In my opinion, that's because they saw the statistics saying it's low probability something like that would happen, even though we had D.D. Cooper and other situations. So that's the idea of a stand down is you got to know this is going to be a thing. How can you not? And then you don't do anything about it, even for the, let's say, the 30% chance that something happens. You don't do anything to try to sharp security fresh off of a situation. Then the letter from Osama bin Laden that got written up on the web, and it was on the web, I think it was 2007, way back early, where he was putting out a plea to the United States, right? And so you have all this documentation of this is going to happen. We're going to flag back. We're going to retaliate. We're going to do something. Something's going to happen, and nothing changes from the security. And then the incident happens. Then all of a sudden, everything starts getting extremely tight. And what did we get out of it? What we really got out of it is that it's significantly more difficult to be screened at versus what it was before. It's a lot less convenient to get on flights. And there are people in the United States now who would argue that that lack of convenience is a good thing. That being groped is a good thing. That being delayed is a good thing. Now they'll complain whether at the airport, but in their minds like, well, it's our security. Do, do, despite the fact that statistically the probability of something like that happening was extremely low. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have done anything. I'm questioning how come nothing was done until after something happened. Then we talk about the whole Hamas and everything situation, which is a terrible situation. And Jones brought up the idea. There's no way that CIA could not have known that this was going to happen with all the money that was flowing. There was knowledge about some of these events. There was knowledge about some of these people. There was communications happening. There's no way they could not have anticipated this happening. And people pointed the finger at Joe Biden. The point is, He's saying there's no way they could not have known. So let's say they did know. If they knew and did nothing about it, well, that's that's kind of sketchy. Again, another stand-down order. The Russia invasion. There's no way they could not have known that was likely to happen because of Crimea. Crimea, that's right during the Obama administration, Joe Biden was there. So then he's saying there's no way they could not have known these and have easily been able to prevent something from happening because allegedly we had one of the strongest militaries in the world. So how can that happen? What he speculated is that it was strategic. And he, he cited some documentation that said, you kind of have to have like a Pearl Harbor event. And for you young folks, and there's not many of you, but for young folks, Pearl Harbor was one of those signature moments where it changed the world. It changed how we interrelate with countries. It changed how we tr trust or distrust countries. It changed how we deploy military. It changed how we monitor it changed how everything we do. But remember, that was during a time there was no internet. There was no advanced, significantly advanced technologies in play. It was a very simple time. But it was still shocking for what it is, just like 9-11 was. So the statement made, and it's in writing, 
that, yeah, we kind of need like a Pearl Harbor type of thing to infect change, to say we want change in our society. We have to have one of those events. And then these events happen and then things change because you've now sold the United States public on the need to change. You've convinced them through fear that we must change. He was speculating about the Bill Gates owning up all the farmland and the the, the hatred against meat and the hatred against cows and the push to plant-based whatevers. And he was talking about how, yeah, there's, there's precedent for this. There's precedent for getting away from, and what he was circling it back to is if you can grow your own stuff, if you can raise your own stuff, if you can live independently, if you can be self-sufficient, you're a threat. And they want to get rid of those threats. But they deflect and they distract by talking about things like anti-transgenderism and all these different, you know, smoke topics that come up that distract people from the real problems. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, big players are taking up farmland. They're taking away to where you can't own multiple acres of land out of the middle of nowhere with your own ranch and your own farm that you own free and clear and you can grow your own stuff. And that's why they don't let you sell farmers sell directly to the public, raw milk, et cetera, that it's all strategic to get to a level of control. Whether you agree with him or you think he's a nutcase, it's still a compelling listen. I do encourage you to check out his interview with Tucker Carlson because he makes a lot of interesting points that I think are worth you listening. Whether you agree with him or not, it's not the point. I think it's worth you listening because I think you're going to see a pattern. And I made the comment about cars. Cars are ugly. Cars all look the same. There's no style. There's no uniqueness. There's no desire to stand out. I was watching one of the designers from the old school of cars, and he made the statement. The reason that cars are increasingly that way is because they're selling based on kind of shock value. It's it's like so ugly that it's going to sell, which is bass backwards as it is. But what I said is that most of these cars, if you look at sedans, with the exception of the Honda Accord, which I was just looking at, most of the sedans are now looking like tiny garbages. There's no desire for a good-sized sedan. I saw, and he was an older guy, so I was really disappointed. He said, well, that's because everybody wants SUVs. Do, do. No, that's not true. I'm looking out of the parking lot right now. Of the you know, 20 cars I see, there may be four SUVs and two trucks. It, it's not factually accurate. People want SUVs. That's all that's being sold. It's not like we have a choice. So then... I was going to buy this, this Accord, right? And I can't even get the 2023 model. And yes, they just released a 2024, but usually they still have 2023s in a lot, not out here. But they'll have tons of the SUVs for years on end. They'll have tons of little hatchback garbages and tons of the garbage cars, but not the real quality sedans that happen. They're selling like crazy. And then when you try to buy them on secondary, they're overpriced. So, there's some truth in the idea of a strategic shift towards what they want you to own, what they want you to have, what they want you to drive, you know, pushing to EVs. The Accord is a, a hybrid, which is why I was interested. I don't want an EV. I want to make sure I can always drive it regardless of whether there's a charger or not, because I'm not going to sit out on a charger for two hours. It doesn't make any sense. The point is, is that I do encourage you to check out what Alex is saying on Tucker Carlson's show. Even if you don't agree with what he says, he makes some compelling points I think are worth your time to listen to, and then be thinking about, call to action, what you can sense in some of this influence triggered largely all the way as far back as 2001 
But even recent days with the pandemic, there were different shifts that took place. Remember, they were forcing people to lock down. They were forcing companies to fire people. They were forcing schools to expel people. They were forcing people not to be able to go and do their basic essentials. They were forcing a mask on people. They were violating everybody's rights at will. For what? Where do we end up? Did we end up any better? I don't I argue that we didn't. I, we were slightly recovered. I don't think we were better off than what we were. Well, for what? Because they set the precedent of certain people who are now afraid and they want to impose their will on other people, which takes away your inalienable rights. So I thought it was a compelling talk piece. Whether or not you agree, that's not the point. It is just something to really think about and consider, strongly consider if you've been exposed or you're aware of some of this that he's talking about. And I think you're going to find at least two or three examples of the chaos that we're just currently dealing with. And then start asking the question, well, what does it mean? I don't know what it means, I, but I sense it. I sense how scary it is. And it's certainly not the world that I'm used to.